Dear Resurrection people, members of St. John's, welcome and honored guests, and especially any who may still have some reservations about the resurrection. Well, who can you trust these days? Advertisers? Politicians? There are so many things that really sort of rack us, our understanding and trust these days, does it not? I really loved one, one of the TV channels used to have a little segment in their news that was titled, but does it really do that? And the scenario was they would give the advertisement and then go to the home of someone who had bought the product to find out whether or not it was satisfactory. And almost nine times out of 10, it wasn't. It didn't at all fulfill their claims or promises. Well, what about politicians? We certainly are hearing a lot from them these days, are we not? And yet we know that from prior campaigns, some of their lofty claims are nothing more than that. And some of their promises, while they're appealing to a segment of the, of the voters, will never become reality. And so the Angie's list of who or what you can trust is getting shorter every day. It reminds me of that old popular cartoon, maybe you've seen it, that shows a kind of Charlie Brown type character peeking around the corner to an empty street. And the caption below says, just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. That cartoon sort of pops in my mind as I read the gospel lesson for today in the opening words of the gospel where trust is seemingly crushed in the blender of events and converted into a slushy mixture of fear and doubt. The closing words of St. Mark's gospel read, and they were terrified. And it certainly is carried over in the text today from John's gospel with those who were most closely associated with Jesus. Behind locked doors, filled with confusion and fear, the first disciples are understandably distrustful. Distrustful of their rabbi master, whom they had given up everything to follow and whom they now assumed to be dead distrustful of the Jewish authorities who certainly were out to get them and meet with them a kind of same kind of punishment as their master incurred. They were distrustful of each other because one of their own, Judas, had turned traitor. Suspicion, fear, and doubt hung like a gaseous vapor in that upper room of silence and whispers, that room which may even have been the setting for the last supper that they had with their master. So many memories, so many dreams, so many hopes, all now smashed to smithereens. And then some kind of X-file events begin to occur. 
The now resurrected Jesus slips through both the closed doors of the room and the closed minds of the disciples. He cheerfully greets their sullen and suspicious stares with a casual, familiar Aramaic greeting, Shalom Malakim, peace be with you. And then it proceeds to show them the scars of his execution, his hands and his feet and his side, so there could be no doubt about it. His it, as that reality begins to sink in, in the disciples, the fists of fear now open into arms of welcome, and they spewed over into explosive joy as they begin to share that shalom, that peace with one another. The impossible had just happened so that now each disciple could assuredly declare, for me, there's no doubt about it. All that is, save one. Thomas, who was not there at the time, shows up a little later and exhibits a behavior that earned for him that infamous title, Doubting Thomas. To the enthusiastic news of his fellow disciples, he says, no way, it's not good enough for me. It's just anecdotal. I need empirical, incontrovertible proof. And now doesn't that just sound familiar? Thomas would fit in very well in today's society, in today's world not just among the agnostics and the avowed atheists, but with the common core of much of today's enlightened society. Many are very vocal in expressing their doubts about the resurrection of Jesus. What proof do you have, they say, unless I see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, and hear it? It never happened. Well, let's be honest. We all have our good days of faith, but we also have days when we are not sure. People, events, experiences can leave a cruel scar, a piercing wound, and deep resentments within us. And these can turn us into a doubting Thomas as well. Sometimes just a single word, a picture, a person, or a story can trigger those doubts and drive us into the upper room of our own mind where we can hide behind the locked doors. A woman I once knew lost her husband in a helicopter crash. Six months later, she said, I walked into a department store and there I saw a mannequin wearing a suit that was just like the one my husband wore. And I ran out of that store, went home, and cried for two days. Yes, the proof, I think, of the resurrection really tests us when we are forced to stand before the lifeless remains of a departed loved one 
but has taken the joy out of our life and put despair into our soul. Or when we watch all that we have worked for somehow just taken away, either through illness or through fire or flood, or when that promotion we so much wanted and desired is offered to someone less qualified. It's at such a time that our faith must allow the risen Christ to slip through the locked doors of our psyche's defenses. He greets us with resurrection words of peace, and he shows us his scars, the scars of his empathy with our pain, the scars of triumph over fear, the scars that allow us to be touched by the rich grace of the God of grace and hope. In a most tangible way, Jesus accepts Thomas's challenge. Eight days later, he reappears and singles out Thomas. He says, hey, Thomas, come here. Look, touch, believe. And then doubting Thomas is transformed into believing Thomas. His response goes far beyond the pale of doubt destroyed to faith convinced. I now know who you really are. You are not only my Lord, but you are my God. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if that happened, what happened to Thomas would happen to each of us? that the resurrected Jesus would come and place his nail-pierced hands on our shoulder. Jesus must have known in advance where our train of thought would go because to Thomas and to all of us Thomases, he adds, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Certainly the resurrected Jesus comes to us. We may not recognize him right away in our doubt and in our despair, but he comes to us in the words of Holy Scripture, just the same way he came to his early disciples. In fact, our text ends this way, these things are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So there's no doubt about it. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. He comes to us in the presence of the bread and the wine that we share with one another. He sometimes comes to us in the form of answered prayer. He sometimes comes to us in a faith-filled co-worker who lends a sympathetic ear he may come to us in the form of a counselor or a pastor, but when he comes, and comes he will, it's Easter all over again. Yes, there's no doubt about it. May that risen Christ find his way into your upper room to give you the peace of knowing that he is the risen Christ, the Son of the living God, and that through believing, not doubting, you may find and have 
life, abundant life, in his name. Amen.